Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our webinar, Wealth Managers Need to Take a Side on Cryptocurrencies and Security Tokens. I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance, and I'm delighted to moderate our discussion today. Now, when we last visited the subject of wealth management back in October last year, we found that wealth managers were struggling to keep up with technological developments. They lack the money and they lack the knowledge to digitize their offerings, which helps to explain why, as the Khalifa report uh, of February this year found wealth techs make up 35% of all fintechs in the United Kingdom. Clearly, digitizing wealth management is a big new business opportunity. So it's scarcely surprising that we also found in October last year that most wealth managers are not yet ready to embark on investing in those digital technology-driven investment vehicles we know as cryptocurrencies and security tokens. But the fact remains that wealthy investors are natural pioneers of cryptocurrency and token investing, and their wealth managers could definitely help them make that journey and profit from it. And not just by putting on additional risk either. Rougher investment management, for example, a wealth manager whose entire sales pitch is safety first, famously bought Bitcoin late last year to protect the capital of its clients rather than augment it. So there are good defensive as well as offensive reasons for wealth managers to get involved in cryptocurrencies and security tokens. Now to help us get a better idea of which wealth managers are doing what, what the benefits and the barriers to their entry are and what roles wealth managers can actually play, I'm joined by five people who've been thinking about all of these issues for much longer than I have. Adi Benari is the founder and CEO of Applied Blockchain, which develops blockchain applications and products for major corporations in multiple industries, including financial services. The product set includes Beyond, a confidential trading platform, and K0, an open source zero knowledge proof framework for trading assets privately on smart contract blockchains. Phil Gillespie is president and CEO of the Japan arm of B2C2, the cryptocurrency market maker that works with wealth managers, family offices, private banks, and hedge funds seeking liquidity in the major cryptocurrencies as well as the major currency pairs. Trevor Goodman is a managing director at MJ Hudson, an asset management consultancy specializing in private equity, whose clients include wealth managers, private banks, and family offices. MJ Hudson is also a sponsor, among many other things, of the Private Markets course at the Syed Business School, birthplace of the future of finance. And nothing is more pertinent to our discussion about tokenization today than private markets, where the techniques which some think will one day sweep the current securities markets away are being pioneered. Jeff Harvey Wells is a sales manager at Avalok Wealth and Private Banking Solutions, which provides wealth managers with the technology they need to invest in digital assets on behalf of clients and indeed tokenize client assets. Andy Knox is a former chief of staff at Mann Group with an interest in financial technology who is now consulting to asset and wealth managers on strategy, clients, and communications. In addition to our panelists, we do also have you, our audience. <clears throat> we want your questions and we want your comments. So send them, keep sending them using the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your Zoom screens. Rest assured, I won't be saving them all up to the end, <clears throat> but I will answer them as we go along. So you will be, if you choose to be an integral part of this discussion right from the start. And all six of us will be disappointed if you don't take that opportunity. I'd like to begin by asking our panelists whether they think cryptocurrencies are now a mainstream asset class. And of course, whether security tokens will one day become one. Because if these assets are going mainstream, wealth managers need to do something. The question is, are they doing something? And if so, what is that something? Now, Jeff, um, 
I haven't been able to source any meaningful statistics about what's going on in this marketplace, but you must be talking to wealth managers all the time. Are they crazy for crypto and gagging, uh, frantic for tokens, um, or are they a bit nervous about both of these things? What's, what's the evidence you're seeing in the marketplace? Thanks, Dominic. Um, I think at Avalok, we, we have about 150 wealth and um, <clears throat> private, private um, bank clients. So I think it gives us a un unique perspective on the market. Um, I think there's definitely a change. I think that the market thinks it's now the right time for the banks and the wealth managers to get involved in that crypto asset investment process and then use that in terms of the portfolios that they manage their clients with. I think five or six years ago, there was, there was nervousness. I think extreme volatility and complexity over the, the crypto assets was, was an issue. We see that easing today, particularly with the, the cryptocurrencies. I think that's driven by the customers, the customers of the wealth managers wanting to have that cryptocurrency as part of their portfolios. Um, I think the interesting change is twofold for me. I think initially the clients are driving their wealth managers to involve cryptocurrencies in their portfolios. I think the wealth managers themselves are now involving cryptocurrencies in some of their strategies going forwards and whether that's funds or investment solutions that they offer the market more generally. And you mentioned tokenization, and we see tokenization as, as a, probably the next big wave after the cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jeff. Phil, you must be talking to, to wealth managers uh, every day as well. Does, does your experience match that of Jeff or, or, or the clients you're talking to are, are by definition more advanced, but do you feel yourself riding the crest of a, of a wave or, or what? Yeah, I think um, in terms of the crypto market as a whole, it's becoming more mainstream. I mean, just a few years ago, just two, three years ago, it's mainly retail driven still. Um, but in the last year and a half, we're starting to see not only banks, corporates, you know, and family office and everything else is kind of coming in. So, I mean, a lot of us are from traditional finance from, from Goldman or JP, you know, used to do uh, FX market making and so on. And we're starting to see these traditional client base coming into the crypto ecosystem. So it's definitely becoming mainstream. But with regards to wealth managers, I think it's still early days. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, and I think we're going to be talking about it today and a lot of these questions, but um, I think there's still unfamiliar kind of territories and still reluctance for a lot of guys to be uh, fully committed to, to the crypto ecosystem. But we've seen a tremendous amount of change in the last six months last year and in the overall client kind of base. Trevor, you, you mentioned shortly before we, we went, live a few minutes ago that, uh, that JP Morgan has launched this uh, this Bitcoin investment fund uh, yesterday, I think. Now, as you hear what, what Phil in particular has been saying about the, the relatively low level of knowledge of, of, of wealth management, what's going on in this marketplace, maybe funds and ETFs can be gateway products for, for wealth managers to get into the crypto asset, uh, the cryptocurrency asset class first, and then maybe tokenization comes later. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Dominic. I think that's a really, really good point. And, you know, when I've looked at things from a, a legal regulatory perspective in this sort of area, it is around bringing the fund structures uh, virtually on sort of blockchains and looking at the different types of assets that maybe could be put into those fund structures. So that's definitely a, a development. I do think the JP Morgan announcement is a really interesting one. Obviously, they had previously announced they were going to sort of get into the custody space around crypto. And they're clearly 
beginning to start to join the dots across their organization, their uh, complete offering. And absolutely, it's becoming mainstream. Uh, and I know this isn't for this particular uh, conversation today, but even sort of the Bank of England beginning to try to take a lead on a, a central digital uh, asset, digital money as well. So when all of those things are beginning to happen, it's very clear that, um, you know, if you don't start moving and looking at the issues and developing a strategy, uh, you may get left behind and there's going to be a lot of disruptors to the uh, current uh, legacy players in the industry. So you need to really uh, understand what's going on and have a plan in terms of what to do. Yeah, no, you're quite right to allude to the fact central bank digital currencies will affect everybody, uh, including wealth managers. That's the one aspect of this you simply can't escape. But Andy, perhaps you could give us a few thoughts. I mean, there are lots of ways in which wealth managers could react to this opportunity, this threat. They could start advising clients on how to invest in these asset classes. They could start, as some private banks I know are doing already, starting to execute you know, direct transactions on behalf of clients in, in crypto in particular. They could start to develop a business structuring uh, issues of security tokens by their high net worth or ultra high net worth with clients. Do you see um, much evidence that, that wealth managers are actually doing any or all of those things? Yeah, well, I, I think just picking up on something that Phil was saying earlier, I think three, four years ago, it was a very retail space, but that retail space kind of existed outside wealth management, which is typically kind of mass affluent plus, right? And I think over the last year or so, you've had high net worths and ultra high net worths leading because They've been saying, you know, I don't care if you're not familiar with it. This is an asset class I'm interested in. You know, you know, and we haven't talked about, you know, currency exchange controls and all the rest of that, right? That that arguably driving huge amounts of volume. Um, you know, lots of lots of rich people looking to use um, Bitcoin as a as a safer safer haven in some ways than than than, than the dollar or their or their local currency. But I think I think what what's happened, and you know, Avalok as one provider is onto this, is is that means wealth managers have a custody challenge, because you know if they don't um, help their clients, you know, custody um, uh, crypto assets, there's a risk that they might lose them to challenges. So there's that whole. So it feels like a lot of the kind of. Uh, wealth management action in the space right now is driven by you know custodying as, a, as an additional service for clients then you've got all the hot cold wallet stuff etc but there are as you say multiple angles to this I mean you saw Bailey Gifford investing recently 100 million in, in blockchain.com so there's a whole investable asset class side to this um, and then yeah I mean that the, the security tokens piece is is particularly interesting I think for wealth wealth managers it feels still two to three years off but um, the ability you know some of the kind of basic um, attributes of, of DLT like you know fractionalization immutability all the rest of that that's um, uh, that opens up all sorts of possibilities across you know all the collectibles but private assets as well and what's really interesting on top of that for wealth managers is, you know, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, um, a lot of the value that they might seek to add is in, is in structuring, right? So they're bringing together different exposures. And if, you know, a lot of the flows of the last few years been into multi-asset, um, there's a really interesting kind of future, maybe three, five years hence, where um, 
clever structures at wealth asset managers are slicing and dicing exposures to various asset classes in a way which, which hasn't been possible in the absence of, of that technology. Well, you, you, your point is that, that even if people are not, even if wealth managers are not actually um, advising clients on this, they need to look at this as, as an investable asset class. They need to develop products to, to safe keep these, these assets because clients want to, to hold them. But I'd like to pick up just with, with um, I'd like to pick up the point you made about new asset classes. And I'd like Addy to comment on that in a minute. But before we do, I'd just like to, to ask Phil, because you mentioned Andy, um, you know, people are using Bitcoin, certain types of clients are using Bitcoin as an alternative to, to holding currency. And this will, will ring all sorts of alarm bells with certain wealth managers that this is all about the dark web and uh, tax evasion and uh, sanctioned individuals and, and uh, politically exposed persons and so on. Now, Phil, you're, a, you're a, obviously a regulated firm. Um, what's your opinion about how regulation in the markets where you're operating is actually treating cryptocurrency as an asset class now? Are we, in a way, starting to see more activity in cryptocurrency in markets where there is a kind of regulation in place for this than in markets where there isn't? Yeah, I mean, uh, the answer is a little bit tricky because it's, it's, it's relative. Uh, some regulatory kind of uh, some regulatory changes um, are, are a bit crushing because it's just too strict. So what we notice is that depending on a country like India, who's outright banned cryptocurrency, versus other countries who's, uh, who's actually set up regulatory framework, which in turn you know, provides clarity in terms of business, right? I mean, the, the problem is, you know, when you have institutional clients that want to do business uh, and, and you know, they want to invest in crypto, if the regulatory landscape and if, if there's no regulatory clarity, it's hard for them to come in and establish a business or you know, try to sell, to sell or you know, own uh, crypto uh, on their side. So what we've noticed is that uh, right now in Asia, uh, the regulatory landscape is getting uh, is getting very uh, clean. And each kind of jurisdiction, you know, we have an office in Tokyo. We do a lot of business across all the different Asian countries. But my my feeling is that right now Asia has kind of matured uh, with a lot of these regulatory kind of um, uh, uh, you know um, setups. And now we're going to start seeing Europe and the U.S. kind of follow suit as well. But I think from an institutional perspective. Um, you have to have regulatory clarity in order for you to, to actually conduct business. So um, in the long run, this is a, this is the right thing and, and kind of the, the, the right path forward. Can I ask you an unfair question? Is, is the UK on the right path? From point of view of a regulatory framework you can work within? <laughs> Given that we're an FCA regulated company, I don't think we can uh, comment too much. But at the same time, um, you know, we are a UK company at the end of the day. And we are, you know, providing liquidity through um, a, a UK firm. Um, so I, I think, you know, th there's always complaints from anybody who's, uh, who's a crypto participant because it's just so much, uh, you know, banking scrutiny, regulatory scrutiny, and so many things that we need to deal with. But at the end of the day, the fact that we are headquarters in London uh, is a testament to um, at least the, the UK framework that, that, that works for us, for the business-wise. Yeah. Anyway, your clients could be confident their counterpart is not uh, a sanctioned Russian individual. The FATF and AML and KYC has been done. So that, that's that's the that's really what I meant. Now, um, Andy, perhaps I could bring you in at this point. Andy mentioned uh, these new asset classes which are becoming available. Um, and we hear a lot about private market assets, by which people mean everything from real estate through private equity, private debt funds, and indeed just mm -hmm. private 
company equity raisings and, and, and debt raisings, but it could also mean real, you know, not just real estate, but forestry, fine art, collectibles, I think uh, Andy referred to now. Uh, uh, you know, do we need, do wealth managers need tokenization to access these asset classes? They obviously make it easier, but are they, are they excluded from investing in these asset classes by the system as it exists today? Yeah, I think the, the, the answer and, and what, we really, what we've really seen happen in the last six, 12 months is liquidity. So the, the big change in this space um, is that a lot of activity has moved onto these uh, public blockchain networks. Um, and the cryptocurrency space has, has obviously exploded. Um, we are growing substantially and we've got more and more institutions dealing with it directly. Uh, who wouldn't have done 12 or even 18 months ago? Um, we've also got uh, just a new type of infrastructure that's being built on top of this. So we have things like decentralized exchanges, which offer certain types of efficiencies. We have um, more and more applications of decentralized finance, which are autonomous um, uh, financing vehicles that, that run on this type of infrastructure. Um, and these are, these are still very, they're fairly experimental, but they all interlink, so they all work together. So if you take a piece of art and, and you deploy an ownership record uh, onto one of these networks, <clears throat> you can try to finance it using one of these decentralized financing contracts, um, and, and you can present it to one of these liquidity pools uh, to try and sell it. And, and it's all interlinked and very, very efficient. Um, so that, that's really what we've seen as, as a massive shift in the last 12, 18 months. Um, from institutions experimenting with private blockchains, which felt safe uh, in that they were ring-fenced and controlled by, by the institutions themselves, but they didn't, they didn't have the, the, the liquidity. Um, and, and we're really seeing a, a movement by the institutions themselves towards these public venues. Um, now, of, of course, some aspects of the, of the public venues um, lack KYC and lack, lack some of the standards that some of these institutions need, and so there's various tooling uh, uh, popping up to deal with that um, but that's still you know th th there's still a lot of work to be done there uh, but but the, the the growth of liquidity itself in the, in those venues is really what's um, what's generated the excitement and, and is kind of feeding itself now. Dominic can I add something there uh, one of the themes that we're seeing is that um, wealth managers have started to talk about this um, tokenization of of these assets as a way in which they can increase their their market share to, um, if you like, lower wealth clients, so the, the, the mass affluent rather than the ultra high. And you, you mentioned a piece of art there, Addy, and it's a really good point that actually somebody could sell that piece of art to 10,000 people who otherwise couldn't even afford um, a piece of art and could have some kind of ownership and um, benefit from that as an investment. So we, we see that as a trend where clients are looking to, our clients are looking to broaden their client base out and maybe to take those services and experience they've got with the ultra high net worth clients and offer them to the mass affluent clients. I see a synergy there. Those rich people are the people who tend to own fine works of art and collections of vintage motor cars and they could keep them in the garage and keep it hanging on the wall, but actually start to um, get some liquidity out of, yeah. out of their... All, all yeah, that, that, that's a big shift that we're seeing. So we're, we, we've got people coming to us with racehorses, fine wine, uh, art, all sorts of different assets, which they think could be of interest to other people, which are, are not very liquid at the moment. And, and there aren't, um, you know, it's very difficult to get a venue and to get liquidity around those. Whereas if you open it up into this global infrastructure, um, 
And, you know, you've got a whole generation that's really coming up now, I think accelerated by COVID and people being at home and being more online and digital who are, who are themselves experimenting with this. It's very, um, it's, it's something that is very approachable to them uh, and, and feels very natural. People have their own digital wallets and they're buying and selling these assets online. Uh, so that, that, that there's a cultural um, thing happening there. There's a technology, uh, uh, the, the technology is advancing very quickly. Um, so all these things uh, are certainly ha are coming together and having a bit of a moment right now. Th these things obviously go up and down, but uh, that, that's certainly a trend that we're seeing right now. And these things will settle via a blockchain pretty much instantly. So there, there's not that lead time in terms of them selling the asset and realizing that asset and moving into a different one. Mm -hmm. no, they, could, they could be the day traders of the future. Yeah, we'll have to come back to that in a minute because there are issues without without a central bank digital currency, of course. Absolutely. But Trevor, perhaps give us a flavour. Is um, is tokenization a route into enjoying private equity returns, for example, for less wealthy clients of, of wealth management firms? Is this giving them access to new types of new types of assets, new types of of, of clients? What, I mean, is it, do you see it happening among the, the funds which you talk to at MJ Hudson? Um, I, I think that's a, a, a great point, Dominic. Um, I, I would just just caveat what I'm going to say now. So that I'm only very recently at MJ Hudson. I, I joined in, in, in March. But I think certainly in terms of the points we're making around the democratisation of uh, asset ownership, um, I certainly believe that things like blockchain are definitely going to help with that. Um, obviously, when you're looking at alternative asset classes, and uh, more of a retailization of alternative asset classes. Uh, clearly, things like private equity come into the um, into the uh, into scope. Um, so yes, uh, on on a personal view, I do think that um, blockchain, uh, similar sorts of solutions, tokenization um, will uh, lead to uh, private equity offerings to uh, to more more retail uh, type investors. Um, and generally, I'm aware of sort of conversations already taking place around the industry um, to, 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 to do that. Um, you know, and I, I certainly saw this sort of democratization, the slicing and dicing of assets in a, in a different way through, um, through property initially. And there are a number of blockchains already operating that are offering um, interest in property uh, in Luxembourg and other jurisdictions as well. So I don't think it's too, we're too far away from uh, putting private equity interests uh, onto blockchains and uh, uh, you know, more retail investors uh, being able to participate in the returns that are generated. And private companies, are not just SMEs, some of these private companies are very large indeed. You know, they, they need to raise debt, they need to raise equity. But I saw a figure only this morning of the private capital raising in the United States in 2019 was $2.7 trillion. So there's, there's massive opportunities there for the issuers, but also for, for wealth managers to, to get involved in investing in those companies for the first time. I, I, I think that's right. I think my, my only caveat is obviously, we've touched on it, it's the sort of the ecosystem and the plumbing and whether it's fully developed enough for, for, for people to really to be able to take advantage of it at the moment. Uh, but I think the point I was making earlier, I think you need to have an understanding, you need to have a strategy, you need to understand the issues and perhaps even be experimenting with your own sort of private chain to see how it works and sorts of players. You know, who do you need going forward? What's the pricing? What are the costs? Um, how can you operate things uh, efficiently, effectively, and, and still look after your clients as well? 
Um, but 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 I do think there's a little bit of a way to go before it becomes the sort of mechanism for raising that type of capital and finance. I, I may be wrong, um, but I think a little bit more work needs to happen on the plumbing of the ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also this issue of valuation, isn't there? When you start to talk about liquidity, some of the private assets, you know, if you think about private debt and all the kind of bespoke covenants that, that underpin some of those deals, or even, you know, the, um, the process that, that surrounds pricing in secondary private equity transactions um, to get to a stage where you fractionalize that and there's kind of bid offer on that feels feels some way off albeit uh, i mean i keep uh, one of the points i i come back to a lot on this stuff is uh, um and you know bitcoin th there's a whole hoopla around bitcoin but there are some basic functional fairly prosaic but functional efficiencies that that DLT like brings to the table and you look at things like you know large private private equity firm universes where they're kind of on their 14th vintage fund right which have got all these paper-based interests it just feels Dickensian right so away from all the some of the hoopla about you know um uh some of the kind of scandals around crypto that there's some there's some basic plumbing stuff, which it feels like DLT is, is really well suited to, yeah. to solve. I'd, I'd agree with that, Andy. And certainly on the smart contracts piece, there have been mm. experiments in the private equity space in terms of drawdowns, et cetera, and automating those. I think particularly in, yeah. uh, in, in Guernsey, I think obviously the challenge, and again, wearing more of a legal hat, which is sort of my, my background historically, you know, it's around, you know, particularly liability in terms of you know, where are those contracts formed? Who's responsible? You know, if something does go wrong, you know, who is going to uh, be on the hook for that? Uh, but but again, I think there are the beginning to be um, some developments there. I don't know if people saw in the last week or so, um, an entity, Law Tech UK, uh, issued some digital dispute resolution sort of guidance, which you can adopt as part of your smart contract piece. Uh, so, you know, things are moving in the right direction, but... I think you know, connecting back to my my other point, that ecosystem and the plumbing is still um, is still relatively new, but it, it, it's beginning, it's evolving, um, and the technological ability is certainly there, uh, but the trust and the understanding um, still needs to uh, develop. Yeah, smart contracts do not put an end to disputes. Uh, code is not law after all. Yeah. Um, so that's an important well, point that. Um, well, I think. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, an, an analogy that pops up for smart contractors may be self-driving cars. Mm. Because, you know, you have a system where you have manual drivers with road signs and, and police cars, uh, you know, for, enforcing the law. Uh, and, and you have self-driving cars, which, which is safer, right? Um, right now, maybe, uh, maybe the driver, but going forward as these things mature... Mm -hmm. yeah. just, just a thought, but the, the, yeah. you know, yeah, the, no, liability, is, yeah. liability is a live issue in so many of these things. It is in digital identity, which we talk about a lot here at Future of Finance, so it creates liabilities as well. Yeah. But I'd like to just move on a little bit now. We've talked, there's a lot of opportunities here for wealth managers, but let's talk about the reasons why they're not, they're not getting involved. Um, and, and Phil, perhaps I could pick this up with you. One of, the, one of the points Andy made is there's no agreed valuation model for this. And of course, with, with the cryptocurrency, there's no cash flows or anything to work with to, to arrive at those, those valuations. So the differences between what wealth managers are used to investing in, you know, equity, um, bonds, FX, commodity, uh, um, asset classes, and, and then, they, then they're being asked to, to, 
to get into cryptocurrency as well. Now, I, I mean, I sat down and sort of tried to think to myself, well, why aren't they getting involved? And, you know, it's lack of understanding, lack of expertise, lack of expertise. It's, it's and there are infrastructural issues, which, which Andy alluded to as well. And I'd like to stay with those a little bit in a minute, but just tell us, um, Phil, when a, when a client first comes to you and wants to get involved in this asset class, um, how much education explanation are you having to do? I think with wealth managers, the, the biggest hurdle is definitely the lack of understanding. I mean, for example, when we talk about valuation, there are many ways where you can value uh, cryptocurrencies. I mean, one of the stuff that we talk about is if you just look at the price, it's just extremely volatile. You know, a lot of people just say, hey, you know, it's just going up, going down. Can't really tell, you know, what is the true valuation of the coin? Well, you can look at like the on-chain turnover. You can look at how much network uh, is being utilized. You can take that ratio just like you do the PE ratio in equity market, apply the same kind of concept. But the thing is the, the, the lack of understanding and just the unfamiliar kind of, I mean, it's a new asset class, right? And, and it has been driven by all of these kind of, um, you know, retail enthusiasts and all of these guys who, who, who embrace the new technology. So, you know, now that the market cap is so big and Bitcoin is a trillion dollar market cap, everybody's forced to look at uh, cryptocurrency now. But the fact of the matter is that there's just, there's just so much um, kind of a difference in the actual understanding of what is blockchain, what is a smart contract. And we talk about this like we know what we're talking about because we do. But for a lot of people, this is all just, just an absolute new technology uh, that they're very unfamiliar with. Um, but one thing that I can say is that the, the speed at which everything is changing makes it hard to keep up with all the, all the stuff. But I mean, right now, given how much cryptocurrency has grown, nobody can ignore it anymore. I mean, if you don't have it in your portfolio, you missed out on a huge return uh, opportunity. And there's just no more excuse to say, I don't, I don't understand, right? Everyone's forced to understand. Everyone's forced to kind of start uh, you know, paying attention to what's, what's happening. And I think that's going to be the, the major drive forward. What, what about custody? Do, do clients bring that up as an issue? They've all have read the stories over the years about you know, inside jobs on cryptocurrency exchanges or you know, the hard drive being taken away by the dustman or whatever. Do, do, does custody and safekeeping still come up as an issue? I mean, can I ask, uh, answer that? Uh, uh, sorry, so, sorry, Phil, was aimed at you. No, 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 go ahead. No. Uh, sorry, sorry Dominic. Um, I... We don't, we don't see that, and we don't see that for a very good reason. I think there's an awful lot more confidence in the in the providers that are offering what you know what we what we traditionally call custody, but but holding that, holding the crypto assets. I think there's an awful lot more confidence in those as firms. They're they're a little bit more known, and as we said earlier, even some wealth managers and institutional firms are now investing in those firms. So they're now quickly becoming market infrastructure, whereas before they were a complete unknown entity. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let, let, let's talk. That, that's 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 good to know. Do you want to add to that anything, Phil? With that, that about custody, we feel it's kind of done. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's custody and also counterparty, right? I mean, this um, as as larger institutions come in, uh, one of the first things that we hear is kind of the counterparty risk. Um, even a lot of these notable exchanges, I'm Coinbase went public, but I mean, you know, if you're a large institution, you're not going to be trading at these exchanges directly. So when you need to source the liquidity and you need to face somebody. Um, there's this kind of, um, and, you know, going back to the whole regulatory point, you know, is it FATF compliant? Are, are they regulated by any, you know, regulatory authority? And there's the, the fact of the matter is that a lot of people feel uncomfortable uh, facing certain counterparties and, and, and also, you know, um, trusting uh, the custody uh, on some of these counterparties. So I, I think um, it's, it's, it's been a big hurdle. And, and even now, 
a lot of the really larger, uh, you know, institutional accounts and wealth managers feel probably uncomfortable because they don't know who to face. And that goes back to my whole point of uh, understanding uh, and a basic lack of knowledge of, you know, who the major players are in the crypto ecosystem. Andy, since you brought this up originally, um, we talked about custody, which is one aspect of the infrastructure that people have to deal with. There are lots of other things, the issuance, you know, the trading, the settlement. And I think that however this marketplace unfolds, and I'm talking here of, of security tokens as well as uh, cryptocurrencies, we're going to get lots of different networks uh, based on blockchain and maybe based on, on other technologies. But even when they're based on blockchain, sometimes it's difficult for these uh, networks to interact with each other. And if they can't interact with each other, that's going to affect liquidity. We need a, a marketplace in which people can move easily between uh, uh, exchanges, if you like, and between asset classes. Uh, and we, we learned at the end of last month about this very interesting uh, initiative called FinP2P, which is to create a protocol to enable orders to flow between these, uh, these different um, changes which will create that secondary market liquidity, which will in turn um, drive more issues and, and help the market um, take off. So as you, if you were advising a wealth manager today, would you describe infrastructure, operational infrastructure, as a major barrier to entry or not? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a very complex kind of interoperability kind of question, isn't it? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a few steps back and just come at it from a from a kind of more basic wealth manager perspective. I mean, what I see in the market is wealth and, and asset managers, which often go together, right, are under massive kind of margin and cost pressure, mm -hmm. right? So they are um, arguably the market's, well, it's undersupplied in some ways, oversupplied in, in, in kind of other ways, but they're going through massive cost rationalization programs, right? At the same time, they recognize that they need to be innovative. I, I think, you know, often we talk about um, crypto and security tokens as digital assets. If you, if you speak to wealth managers about digital, they are more in the weeds about the digital for them means like digital marketing. It's about how do they augment their advisors and, and make the onboarding process a, a bit easier. So I think, um, I think, I think there's a bandwidth challenge for 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 wealth managers, um, and they're kind of just trying to work through their own plumbing issues, right? Their own much more basic plumbing issues. But I mean, Phil's right. Uh, I think they're looking out to the market and seeing seeing this wave of interest and volume and value creation and destruction, but a lot of value creation. And they're rightly being challenged by, by their clients to engage. And I think there is a massive, um, but there's a massive education exercise which needs to go on both for the wealth managers and their clients. I think, I think the challenge is the wealth managers at the moment are a bit underpowered in terms of being the, pe the right people to explain to their clients. Because I do think to, you know, to go back to that barbell concept of you had effectively retail day traders, perhaps the wrong phrase, at one end, and then the ultra high net worths kind of perhaps getting ICOs and, and other coin offerings. For the mass affluent, I think they see the Bitcoin soap opera and, and they get put off, off by that. But I think there's a gap at the minute in the market in wealth managers for people who can understand and explain to clients. To, to, to help them get their heads around this. 
So, Jeff, that sounds like bad news for you that the wealth managers haven't got any money to buy your systems. I, th- I think it's really good news because they haven't got, they probably don't want to invest in their internal infrastructure, nor do they need to, because they will go to a, an Avalok of this world that we could provide that infrastructure. And for me, it's very much like the, if you if you started a, whether it's an institutional broker or wealth manager today, you would not go and buy a back office system, appoint a custodian, you'd outsource that. And I think it's the same in in, in this crypto space as well. You, you will find the market experts and then you will outsource to them and let them run that market infrastructure. I think the wealth managers challenge from a technology perspective perspective is there I think you touched on it, Andy their own internal systems so if they're investing in cryptocurrencies um, then they need internal systems that can deal with that volatility by by the hour by the minute by the second whereas maybe they're used to long only type of um, um, assets that they price once a day and they reflect that once a day so they've got some internal plumbing to get right I think the external plumbing um, they can leave to experts in the market like Avalok. And I liked, but you know, what would really solve this problem well, there was a, is a very clear client appetite to invest in this, in this asset class. Um, Addy, are we seeing wealth management uh, clients putting their wealth managers under pressure to invest in, uh, in cryptocurrencies? In uh, well, security tokens a bit difficult to get at these days, but non non fungible tokens, for example, they could have a go at those. I imagine that there's some pressure just because of the, you know, the, the movements in, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and so on. I imagine that's where the pressure is coming from. But, but I would turn it around a bit and say for an asset manager, uh, a wealth manager, you know, ignore, ignore the changes in the space at your peril, uh, because it's not just about cryptocurrency. Um, we're, we're seeing different forms uh, of tokenization and digitization of money. We've mentioned central bank digital currencies. We have stable coins and we have cryptocurrencies. And it, it's probably fair to say it's inevitable that we will, we will see digitized money of some form on this type of infrastructure in, in widespread use in the next decade. Um, and, and the mechanisms which are, which are evolving and flourishing now in the crypto space are likely to be the same. It's likely to be similar plumbing that we can use regardless of whether it's central bank issued tokens uh, or, 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 or other types of, uh, of sources. So, so I would say really, Educate yourself on what's happening right now because it's moving very quickly and, and some very interesting things evolving there. Trevor, any any sign of a particular type of wealth management client getting involved in this? Is it the ultra high net worth, the high net worth? We've touched on on, on mass affluence becoming accessible through through these instruments, but um, are there patterns yet about what type of client is pushing their wealth manager to do something? Um, it, that that's not something that I'm particularly plugged into Dominic so I can't answer that directly but clearly um, what I can see through all the things that are happening at the industry level is that regardless of exactly where your uh, where your client sort of center is and the sorts of clients that you work with this, this is clearly you know really really important stuff and um, you will get left behind if you're not thinking about these issues and looking to deliver to, to those clients um, you know I'm seeing so much change in this space almost daily. Uh, I, th- I think it was either Addy or, 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 or Phil men- mentioned that um, a little bit earlier. Um, you know, Credit Suisse and Internet partnered up uh, a few weeks ago to uh, settle stocks on a, on a, on a blockchain. Uh, and they managed to do that within minutes, hours, as opposed to the T plus two settlement. You know, you've got the, um, the Bank of England potentially getting into things. And clearly, if they set up a new form of digital payment system, 
you know, that's going to have um, you know, leads to different roles for banks, for example. So that, that there's so much going on. Um, you know, you ignore it at your pe- at your peril. Um, you know, you've got to get your head around all the operational resilience and all the other issues that we're touching on. Um, but you know, others may be um, you know have a little bit more information dominant in terms of actually zoning in on the actual client type. But I'd be very surprised if it was one or the other or or, or you know none at all. I think it's it's got to be across the board. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we've talked already about how um, wealth managers are the more pioneering ones are, are accessing this asset class, not just directly, but through um, through funds, through APEs and, and through ETFs. Uh, they're also investing, uh, as somebody pointed out, that Bailey Gifford you know, is investing in, in doing the classic trade of investing in the people selling the shovels in the gold rush rather than buying the gold itself. So they, those mm-hmm. things are, are, are clearly happening. Um, but are there... Are there, um, is it possible, and, and Phil, you, you'll have a view on this, is it possible for a wealth manager to sort of look at look at cryptocurrency and at security tech and think to themselves, well, this is just another asset class. We can apply all the same criteria we do. We need diversification, we need non-correlation, uh, we need to hedge our risk, we need to get some yield, and you know, all the conventional asset management criteria do apply to these asset classes. Right or wrong, Phil? I mean, 100% is, is, is correct, right? I mean, if you, you know, my background was in systematic uh, market making FX at, at, at Goldman. And then we just transferred everything that we knew and everything that we've, we've kind of worked with uh, and applied it to crypto and it works. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's the thing. A lot of people feel that cryptocurrency is very different, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's the same framework that we work with in all the other asset classes. So when we hire people, uh, and, and you know, that's the other thing, right? Given the market cap and the, given the growth in crypto, you have all the traditional finance guys coming into crypto very rapidly. And I think this is very important. You know, it, it's it's no longer this kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, this techie kind of guys. Um, you know, we see a lot of familiar faces in the crypto ecosystem now because it's, it's where the movement is and it's where the market cap is growing and, and it's where the returns and all the focus are. So in that sense, I think that, um, you know, any wealth manager or any client base are going to feel very familiar dealing in crypto because at the end of the day, I think you're going to be dealing with all the guys who used to trade commodity or FX or equity now in the crypto space. So mm-hmm. that's so an you're, important you're, you're, you're an FX guy. And, you know, in a, in a sense, cryptocurrency appears to you just, it's just like, it's like another currency. Wealth managers are famously not very good at managing um, FX um, exposures, FX risks, or even FX prices. Um, is that not a barrier for them to, to investing in cryptocurrency? Do you not find that is something where we just don't know how to do that still? Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, um, you know, we, we talked about JP Morgan launching their fund earlier in this call as well. So there are all these kinds of, uh, you know, um, solutions and products that's that's being produced. Um, you know, I come from an FX background. Crypto is similar and very different from from, from FX as well, right? Um, you know, at the end of the day, crypto is uh, exchange driven. Uh, FX is very OTC driven. Um, and I think that Bottom line, the necessity drives the, the kind of, um, you know, all the, 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 in, the invention and innovation. So, I mean, we are going to see ETFs and we're gonna, we are going to see all of these other products uh, in the crypto ecosystem that's going to make it easier for, for the wealth managers to, to kind of get exposures into crypto. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think we're already there, right? And we're already seeing it. So. Mm-hmm. 
Now, um, let's we're into our last sort of 15 minutes or so. Uh, perhaps we could talk about what um, wealth managers should actually do in, in, the, in these marketplaces. And I'm thinking here primarily, I suppose, of security tokens, but also cryptocurrency. Uh, and a bunch of things they could do. They could do execution. They could make it act as brokers for their clients to, to buy these asset classes. They could do custody. They could run digital wallets so you can safe keep your, your assets with them. They could get involved in, in settling these transactions. And um, as I think Andy and Trevor were both, both saying at the moment, until we get a central bank digital currency, you can settle against payment tokens on the chain. But if you want to get your, your, your fiat currency out, you've got to come off the chain and go through the banking system. That in itself is a, is a job which somebody needs to do. But they could also get involved in more exciting things um, like prop trading. They could start getting involved in, in, in structuring the funds, which they could then sell to, to clients or distribute to new clients. They could start doing lead broking. In other words, acting as the counterparty when nobody else um, will, will stand there, particularly if they brought an issue to market. Uh, they could start to build, you know, security token marketplaces. They could start to own or, or, or operate them. So there's a whole spectrum of, of things which wealth managers could do. Um, Jeff, what do you, what do you, I mean, you, you provide an all singing, all dancing platform to, to, to wealth managers. Um, do you find that they're interested in, in buying the whole soup to nuts or do they want to pick bits out of it according to their risk appetite? I think it, dep it depends. Uh, and we deal with global wealth managers and right the way down to, uh, you know, startup organizations and, and, and the likes. Um, it's a really difficult question. My personal view, I, I, I don't see wealth managers getting involved in buying buying those assets and holding them and acting in like a, an institutional broker. I think they, they focus on their clients, the value to their clients. I think to Phil's point, everybody needs some of the cryptocurrencies in their, in their broad range of portfolio to make it, to make it wide range. I don't think you can ignore it nowadays. I think if you're just buying funds or equities or ETFs. You're getting a return, but sooner or later, your competitors are going to start being uh, creative about having cryptocurrencies in there and getting really good returns. And that's what the wealth managers really care about is the returns to their, to their end clients. Mm -hmm. I don't see them being too adventurous in the short, medium term, if I'm really honest, Don, Dominic. I just don't think that's the nature of who they are. Um, I, I think they'll be very conservative. I think they'll probably be driven by the market maturing and uh, maybe they'll dislike me for saying this, what their competitors are doing. I don't see anybody having a digital um, cryptocurrency strategy and, and putting that at the forefront of their investment solution to their clients. I think it's part of that investment solution, but it's not, it's not the main part of that. I see tokenized. Sorry, to I see tokenization as being completely different. But as you say, that's two, three years down the line. Mm -hmm. So taking principal risk is not something that we expect them to be doing. Um, Just don't think it's the model. Yeah. Um, Phil, how how broad a range of cryptocurrencies are are? Let's talk about your institutional clients as a whole. How broad a range of currency is it? Are they just focused on the top three, or are they straying further down the the list of crypto to? Look what's happening there. Right. For, for institutional clients, I'm 100% they're focused on the, the top two, top three. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we can tell because, you know, we see the volume breakdown. And, uh, you know, there are some of the more kind of adventurous, you know, hedge fund types that, that really goes into the altcoins or all these other kind of, uh, you know, instruments. But at the end of the day, I think right now, um, 
at least, you know, up until this year, right, you know, up until May of 2021, uh, the main driver has been Bitcoin. But in the last month or two, we've seen kind of range and consolidation. And we started seeing once this is the thing, right? once once the client base is, is familiar with the crypto instruments and the cryptocurrency, now they can kind of venture out into Ethereum, which is a smart contract based, you know, and all these other kinds of uh, coins. So what we noticed is that uh, when the big institutions came in, they were all about Bitcoin. And now they're starting to look at, you know, what is DOT, what is LINK, what is Ether and, and, and everything else. So um, again, the key message, I think, is the speed at which once you start dabbing into crypto and then you start realizing there are smart contracts, DeFi, STOs and everything. I mean, it's, it's just it just moves so fast. Um, so, yeah. So I think um, right now still the top three, but I think that's going to change very fast. Mm. Um, Adi, you were nodding. Did you want to, to add to what Phil has said? I think it's very true. Um, the you know if you if you just look at the gains, then you look at Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is almost a dumb asset here uh, because you you can't do very much with it, and and the sophistication of the applications and and, and a lot of the really interesting uh, changes um, and developments and efficiencies that they're, they're really coming through on some of the other platforms um, uh, through especially Ethereum and some of its variants. So, so yeah, the, the deeper you go, the more the more you'll see that that's that's happening right now. And even though it's very early, it's it, there's a lot, there's a lot of breadth there already. Yeah. And Adi, you made a really interesting point earlier about liquidity and how effectively we're getting new pools of liquidity forming. And it almost strikes me that, you know, to the point that Jeff was making earlier, it's not really ever been the function of wealth managers to kind of book run that much. You know, outside of being part of an integrated bank, they're much more about building you know bringing together exposures for clients and running portfolios and, and servicing those so the really interesting thing it strikes me is particularly if you then add on the bandwidth challenges with which wealth managers are facing there is a massive space for challenges and new entrants to come in and create new markets with new exposures which will then be effectively harvested by the wealth managers and 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 put into client portfolios or blended in client portfolios. And I think what's, what's really interesting, you know, above and beyond the, the kind of cryptocurrencies is the versatility of the technology and therefore the, the kind of the range of different markets you can, you can envisage springing up. And I guess what goes with that is, and this is, all, this is one of the general features of technology, isn't it? The, the ability to bespoke for individual clients. And once you start to think about fractionalization being applied to different asset classes, you could, you could see you know, blends of exposures to all sorts of things to which people don't currently have exposures like Mayfair hotels or art or wine, or there's this crazy stuff about sports mem um, memorabilia, memorabilia, which I can't get my head around, but this incredibly valuable market in NFL programs or whatever it is. But you, know, you, you could imagine a world where you get entrants coming in, creating pools of liquidity around those new markets, opening up whole worlds of exposures we haven't seen yet, I suppose is the bright, shiny world of the internet. I read somewhere that 80% of sports memorabilia is faked. Uh, maybe there's a role for authenticating uh, sports memorabilia. There you go, oh, that's DLT. It's yeah, right for DLT, it. isn't it? <laughs> but but I, I'm glad you brought up the question of, of, of how wealth managers can, can actually start to create whole new markets. This is a particular um, 
I was going to say enthusiasm, but it's probably a bugbear of mine, that we talk about the wonders of, of being able to tokenize things. There's all these illiquid assets lying over there. If only we could tokenize them, we could sell them in bits to all these people over here. But the, the piece which, which makes the conventional security markets run, the investment banks in the middle who, who find the clients, structure the issue, make sure it's tax and legally compliant and regulatory compliant, it's not sold to the wrong people. That piece of work is often forgotten. And it's not, it's not principal risk you'd be taking on, it's purely advisory work. There must be private banks out there who could do actually a very good job because they've got the clients who own the illiquid assets. They could start to advise them how to tokenize this, how to turn them into, into token issues, turn their real estate, their forests, their fine art, their, their sports memorabilia and their vintage cars into these. But are we, do, I don't know whether, whether um, Jeff, you're probably the person most likely to see this going on. Um, do we see wealth management, ultra high net worth wealth management clients pressing their private banks and their wealth managers to get involved saying, look, I'd really like to, to tokenize 49% of my Gauguin on the wall. Can you help me? Short answer is yes. And, and, and I think it's been the, I think it's been the, the, the goal of the wealth managers as well, which for many years, they've talked about the holistic view of the client's wealth. Well, that's normally only assets that you can you can price value and trade fairly easily so absolutely and and property obviously you can hold within portfolios but 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 you're absolutely right there there is a there is a marry of a very ambitious client and a forward-thinking private bank or wealth manager that will come to market and say we're, we're going to revolutionize the experience for our clients um, I think the technology exists today. I, I think that's the, I think that it's, it's starting to mature. It's starting to become a little bit more mainstream. And I think maybe a few years ago, no one could see that happening in a way. And, you know, the, the, the DLT helps that. And, and I think once you can digitize, I keep calling it digitize, tokenize those assets, um, I think that's the revolution. And then, you, of course, you can pay with them with your cryptocurrency. But I'd see the tokenization being a bigger wave than the um, cryptocurrencies, if I'm honest. Do they ever worry that they will actually lose assets? Assets might start to flow out of the business rather than flow into the business I think as a result of tokenization. I think wealth managers have always got that um, worry that the moment they go to their clients and say, "Let's go for your portfolio," and, and um, I, I, I think I think being being a front runner in this, I think, would give them real market advantage. I think two or three of the wealth managers or, or the private banks doing this would really give them. I think it'd have the opposite effect. I think it would attract people to them because they'll be so far ahead of their competition. I, I wouldn't underestimate the the custody part of that as well. Uh, so I think people trying to do things on their own. Uh, you know, there's an element of this technology which, which, which people really wouldn't, most people wouldn't know how to handle. And I think ha having the custody taken care of, as well as the, uh, the, the knowing how to deal with the market. Because you Eddie, Eddie, it won't surprise you to say that we're going to we would do that for them, but it was technically you. complex to, to to safekeep and transfer private keys to digital assets. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, this is really originally kind of developed by developers for developers and for, for techies. And so most people wouldn't know how to deal with their keys. And, and of course, technologies love this because it gives them control of the keys. But for the average person on the street, that's very difficult to get their head around. And, and and Dominic, just on that. the key factor, if sorry to, I keep interrupting, so apologies to everyone. Yeah. It, the keys are really important because if the wealth manager or the private bank don't own the keys, they get disenfranchised effectively. So they, so they, you know, they don't really have true custody. 
they have a book and records that says what, what they have, but they don't really have custody in the true sense. Uh-huh. Yes, it, it belongs to the customer in a way, doesn't it? it not to, not to the, they're ceasing to intermediate it in some way. Absolutely. Um, well, we're down to our, to our last five minutes, so perhaps we could spend that five minutes just asking ourselves um, one, one big question, which is we've established that this is a great opportunity for for wealth managers, we've established that there's a there's a bunch of barriers which they need to overcome, both in their own minds and in terms of the available technology, and in terms of the minds and behaviour of their of their clients as well. But I think we are agreed that this is going to happen. We might disagree about the timetable on which it's happening. It's clearly happening already in cryptocurrency, uh, and what we've learned about digital technology: if it starts in security tokens, it will probably scale very very quickly, and they could well find that all those stocks and bonds they're buying today are available only. In their as new issues in in tokenized form within as short a period as five five years from now. So this is something they they need to to do something about. And my question is this: If they don't seize this opportunity, um, do you think somebody else is going to seize it for them, or will they retain the client base and be able to slow down progress towards the future, which we've which we've described um, here? Um, and Trevor, perhaps I could very unkindly put that to you first. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at, stab at that, uh, Dominic. And my personal view is I think the answer is, uh, is yes. I think uh, other people will come in, disruptors. Um, uh, but probably what you'll see initially is a little bit of a hybrid approach, perhaps, uh, where you'll have some, um, maybe a couple of wealth managers that are ahead of the game. Um, and some new entrants that are um, on top of this sort of technology and these approaches, which maybe some wealth managers, existing customers will go to just to sort of test the waters about. Uh, and then over time, you probably will see um, those clients, um, you know, bring all their assets across to particular wealth managers that are able to cope with all the technology. So I, I, I would say it's going to be a bit of a, a hybrid initially, um, but will drive uh, some structural changes uh, over, over time. Thanks, Trevor. Andy, 35% of UK fintechs are, are actually wealth techs. There's a horde of um, disruptors waiting in the wings. What's your prediction for how responsive the leaders of the wealth management industry in, in the UK anyway will be? Yeah, well, I think it's been, it's a famously sticky space, isn't it? I mean, um, you've got these client relationships built up over a long period of time. But sticky, sticky to the map, to the advisor. More That's than, right. Um, yeah. That that's right, but I you can't. Well, fintechs got, have got the know-how and 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 they've got the clients. And if if they can detach the advisors, they might detach the business, right? Yeah, but I, I I've got to think there's a bit of an element in all of this. Is uh, to the some of the points we were talking about earlier about education and, and communication. There's uh, you kind of think that wealth managers that don't get on board with actually understanding the total universe of investments which are available to their clients, including digital assets in all their forms, um, are ultimately going to be less competitive in the market. And there are people, there is a place for people to come in who actually understand this stuff and can communicate it. Um, And and maybe that's a rebrand of part of a wealth manager because they are very entrenched relationships, but it feels like there is space for some newer entrants to come in and just start talking about this space in a way that others are not. Addy, I think um, Addy was really trying to say the ones that don't get up to speed with this deserve to fail. Do you think that's... Well, uh, 
Well, I mean, that's, that sounds a bit extreme, but I, but I think, uh, you know, th- th- there's, there's definitely something to it. I think if, uh, if clients have to start going elsewhere because they're interested or to educate themselves or to learn more or to gain more from certain products, you know, they, they, they're creating a, a relationship elsewhere that might blossom into other things, and that must be a threat. Mm-hmm. Phil, give us your, your, your prediction from where, from where you're sitting. You're, you're actually in a yeah, sure. very good position to see what's going on. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is in 2017, there's a lot of investment banks uh, that, that were getting pressure from PWM, from private wealth management, to get into crypto. Uh, a lot of the internal controls or, you know, there's hesitancy in investment banks, right? We saw these headlines, Goldman Sachs might do crypto in 2017. Jamie Dimon commented and said, you know, we're not going to do this. Let's look at what's happening now. Yeah. And what happened is in 2017-18, all of these guys fled investment banks, like myself, and came into crypto. And now we're seeing this massive kind of uh, influx from all of these places that's choosing not to adopt or choosing not to engage. So, you know, you're, you're forced to be engaged. You're forced to be, uh, you know, involved. Uh, otherwise, someone else is going to just take the place. So. Mm-hmm. And just before I let you go, Phil, are we seeing people coming out of hedge funds to get into security token and cryptocurrency fund startups as well as you get that same movement of people who know what they're doing? into the sector and applying their knowledge and skills and experience to these new think, asset classes as asset managers, as opposed to traders. I, I think the biggest exodus is actually from investment banks. Um, you know, you know, hedge funds, not so much, but like right now, you know, we, we're obviously always recruiting, uh, you know, for traders and, and different kinds of uh, uh, people. But what we see is that there's just massive exodus from investment banks to come into crypto ecosystem. Um, in particular, yeah. Well, um, uh, um, Jeff, you, you, it falls to you to answer the, the question which we've, which we've now had from a member of the audience, which who, who says, um, it was more of a comment, it would seem that this will remain an investment opportunity for ultra high net, high net worth and high net worth rather than mass affluent at this stage. The wealth manager will be concerned on liquidity issues and will remain a problem for some time yet. Sophisticated investors will be needed for the regulator, I suspect in the same way as for, for hedge funds. Therefore, funds and ETFs must be the starting point. That audience member has clearly been listening to our discussion. Um, uh, do you think that's a, a, a fair comment on everything which we have, which we have said? In other words, if you link that to the question I wanted to close with, um, does is this the death knell for for wealth managers who don't keep up with this, uh, but also creates an opportunity for those thirty five percent of UK fintechs who want to move into this space to find the right partners? And they could have a very successful business, but it sounds as if they're going to have to start with something quite conservative, with some very rich clients going in through established vehicles like funds. Do you think that's a fair assessment of the short-term, immediate future? Is yes to a simple answer. Um, I, yes, you are allowed in to say short, yes. Hardly anyone yeah, does on these webinars, but you can yeah, that, yeah. Yes, um, I think any wealth manager or advisor has to take cryptocurrencies crypto assets within their portfolios and their business model in the future. At, at you, as you rightly say, Dominic, in the future, if they want to buy, you may have corporate actions that are all tokenized, so they can't ignore it. It's going to be part of market infrastructure in probably in the medium term, definitely. Um, I can see the ultra high net worth in, um, clients and wealth managers not moving from their wealth manager that expect them to support them because there's other services that they offer. I do think you've got 
you've got disruptors, maybe the banking disruptors will go into investment and they could really attack the high, the, the, the mass affluent, the ones that only want a, a service on their smartphone. And I think that that could be where that tokenization really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So he's wrong to think it's only the ultra high net worth. This could be a mass affluent product. Eventually, yeah. Sorry, I don't, don't want to contradict the the comment, but I, I think in the short term, he's he's absolutely or she's absolutely right. Um, I think in the longer term, I think there's other options that could come into play. Yeah. Anyway, we we run three or four minutes over, so we better stop there. I'm, I'm sorry, you can see this discussion could go on for some time. I'd like to thank our panelists: Adi Benari of Applied Blockchain, Phil Gillespie of B2C2, Trevor Goodman from MJ Hudson, Jeff Harvey Wells of Avalok, and Andy Knox. Uh, and I'd also like to thank you, our audience, for for your interest uh, and for that uh, that comment uh, but for now it's goodbye from the six of us <laughs> <laughs>